low level. Low level. High level. <laughs> Just a little treat for you there. Doing a bit of level checks. Brenda. <laughs> it's very, very professional this end. Uh, let me paint a this scene is, for you, Chatters. So yeah. I'm in the priest hall with Annabelle mm-hmm. Crab. She's provided some carrot cake. It's very delicious. Is it good? I haven't eaten the icing yet. Is it cream cheese? Sure is. Good. Otherwise, you're just camping out. I you? completely agree. As Paul Heading always says about carrot cake. <laughs> Listen, <shall>. love. <laughs> you got to oh. have cream cheese frosting. Oh, also, there's a little bit of an orange zest mm. in the cream cheese frosting for you. Yeah. Mm. You can get that it. for free. So Sorry the story of, story of this uh, carrot cake is mm. that I had some cream cheese frosting left over and I was just right. building a cake to take it because I hate to throw out frosting. <laughs> Do you know what? I made a salad this week yeah. where I had leftover tofu and I just went looking for a salad that took tofu so I could just get that out of the I fridge. I like that starting place. Very good. Um, and so I did that thing where you Google best carrot cake or something like that mm-hmm. and I found a good food – um, little uh, thread called Found Australia's Best Carrot Cake Recipe. Now, obviously, this is highly, highly subjective, mm. but I went ahead and I baked the winner. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, actually, the winning recipe is submitted by a woman um, who uh, called Angelique Lazarus, who is one of the women who put together that cookbook uh, called Monday Morning Cooking Club, which oh, I actually yeah. have cooked a bunch of things out of. And right. so I really like the book. And Look, this is a carrot cake that plays all the hits. It's got your crushed pineapple in there. Controversial to some, but <laughs> A-OK by me. Look, I'm just going to make a bold call. Oh, yeah, what? There's not enough carrot in it. Fuck off. There's like four carrots in there. I went over – I, I over-carroted it. It is, a, it is an over-rooted cake. <laughs> I can barely taste the carrot and I oh. can hardly see it. <laughs> wow. Tough crowd. <laughs> but it is delicious nonetheless. Oh, oh, right, yeah. So you'd make it, but <laughs> I just wouldn't the call recipe, it a carrot cake. You? I'd call it a walnut. It's, wa- it? it's a walnut cake with hints of carrot. Well, they're pecans, for starters. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. Because I don't know well, my elbow root, my carrot roots. cake. I don't have anything you know against I'm... quality roots. Whoa, oh god. Wow. Sorry. I'm just it's just She's bit some tea. Everywhere. I've stolen a, someone else's teacup from the ABC. Oh, um, At least it landed on the Daily Telegraph. Kitchenette. Yeah, it'd be the Daily Telegraph from 2017. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, and I've made her a lovely cup of tea and now she's tipped it all over my vile, messy oh, desk. Dear. So, scene it, it set. Did, it did land all on the newspaper, though, so that's good. Do you know why you're annoyed by roots? Why? Tell me. Because it's an extension of your tuber problem. <laughs> God, is the quality of the gags in this thing going to pick up today? Here all night. I hope so. Try the carrot cake. It's delicious, whatever she says. Hey, um, pretty rude of you. We by the time this gets posted, this will be you know at least a few days old. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, Carl Lagerfeld died. Uh, Fashion designer. Did you ever watch that that clarification? Did you ever watch that doco about him? I never did, but um, you know, as you know, I love a fashion doco. I know you do, and and no, I didn't. But I did watch. Um, you know that. Um, here's where I now attractively talk through the carrot cake for about <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs> um, sorry, gross, gross, gross. Um, I did watch that Netflix show, which I, I really love the um, concept of. It's called Seven Days Out. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's only like maybe a half an hour, maybe it's an hour, I can't remember. Um, and it it monitors the last seven days of the planning of an event. So it'll be like, you know, Olympics or um, the one that I saw was um, the last seven days before a Chanel um, show. Like oh, a, how cool. Yeah. And, I mean, oh, 
I do love that, like that that Dior film that you made me watch, mm. and the Alexander McQueen documentary, mm-hmm. which I really loved recently. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen the Vivian Westwood one. Which I what happened to that? I don't know. Bookmark that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so, look, it's full of just complete idiots, of course, um, and Karl Lagerfeld. Now, I know we're all being very sad about him today as a legend, but, oh, my gosh, he's sort of – Pretty unique character. Yeah. In the interviews, he's just sort of straining every muscle to be kind of controversial and a bit sort of <laughs> – maybe it's just those really high collars just sort of cut off oxygen to your brain a bit. He sort of looks like Colonel Sanders' weird brother, <laughs> don't you think? In a better outfit. <laughs> Who's never put a bit of fried chicken in his mouth ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sort of respect the fact that he's just kept that look for all of oh, these same. years. I mean, it's sort of brilliant. Yeah. And I remember um, when I was in Florida in 2012 doing a foreign correspondent on the election, we went to Miami um, and stayed at this hotel in that old sort of um, oh, yeah. beautiful um Precinct, yeah, um, which was only saved because there was all all about to be knocked down in the eighties. That that precinct because um, it was just full of hookers and junkies and stuff, and just it was like a high crime environment. And there was this one woman who started this letter writing campaign and absolutely mm. um, campaigned against it being knocked down. And now it's this extraordinary tourist draw card. Mm. So I always. I think it's an amazing story. Anyway, but in this hotel, there were all these pictures of Lagerfeld and others sort of partying there. It was supposed mm. being a party hotel by the time the ABC put me there. But it was sort of – they had these sort of lovely old photographs and he looked exactly the same. Wow. Even when he was, you know – because didn't 30. Giovanni and Donatello Versace live in Miami or yeah. party in Florida? Or well, that's where like? Versace was killed. Right. He was shot around the corner from there. Mm. Mm. And so is Carl I've the central? I've actually got a book about um, the uh, – I've, I've got a book here that's been sitting on my desk and I'm dying to read it. I bought it oh. at my – it's called Volga, Volga Favours, <laughs> The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Oh. And it's by Maureen Orth, that woman who writes these sort of like – she wrote heaps of st- – she's a Vanity Fair writer. She writes lots of sort of celebrity gear. That, I think she wrote lots about Ted Bundy as well. Like she's a bit of a – That looks like it's going to be right up my alley. It looks yeah. like total trash. Fantastic. Yeah, it, it, it does have the whiff of trash bag about it. So is seven is the seven days out – I've watched one episode of that too. I've watched the one about the Westminster Dog Show. Oh, shit. Is the Chanel one – You're right. A pile there. of stuff. Just, uh, Sorry about her potty mouth, yeah. listeners. I know that I'm very I'm a bit um, sweary today. Uh, is the Chanel? Is the fashion show doco? Is it? Is he the central talent in it, or does it follow the models and the whole? Um, it follows all of them. That you can tell that they're sort of they have him when they can get him. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's. Um, It'd be a high-wire act because you'd want something to go significantly wrong to create some sort of, you know, and I think in every um, catwalk show there's always some sort of like, oh, my God, yeah. these beads have fallen off, et yeah, cetera. Yeah, yeah. And I, I never find that terribly anxiety-inducing. I no. think it's like as jeopardy goes, I just think, oh, yeah, so the beads fell off. Get the dog show worked a bit better because oh, it was yeah. – um, Is that like Crufts? No, what's that? Crufts. Crufts. What's Crufts? Sorry? What? <laughs> Every said. now and again, like you're a very clever woman and you're well read and you know you've travelled extensively and then every now and again <laughs> I just encountered this rip in the space space time <laughs> continuum where you'll just be like, What are shoes? Like <laughs> well, I don't even know what Crufts is. 
it's the premier dog show in Britain. It's <laughs> really? like people are glued to it every year. It's like Eurovision. <laughs> I can't even tell you who won. No, I can't remember. what He was a sort of a, yep. A Pomeranian-looking thing. I mean, like, Speaking seriously. Eurovision, I've got a problem. Why are we in that? I don't know. I'll never European. understand. It's mystifying. Do you too. know who I'd like to read an essay on this by? Paul Keating. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he'd really rip Eurovision a new one. What are you talking about? Stupid. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, anyway, the, the dog, dog show. Right. The dog show provides tension, of course, because you're right. sort of wondering it's who's going to win. It's a dog show. You don't know which dog it's show. It's the Westminster dog show. Oh. It's America's. Oh, oh. this big home is supposed to continue. <laughs> who hasn't heard of the Westminster dog show? Yeah. Um, do you know what? Also, just sorry, while we keep you're digressing a real terrier, all the time. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just stop it. Do you know? Um, mm? One of the things I find vaguely disturbing is how many people, when they come up to me to say they like the podcast, yeah. what they like about it is us piling shit on each other. Right. That's their favourite thing about between, it. Before people just come up and start insulting us instead of saying <laughs> nice things. It's like, you're cloth-eared bent. Get out. People do that to me a bit. Yesterday you know? I posted on Twitter this adorable clip of John Olson drawing a picture for oh, me yeah. in a book that he gave me. Yeah, I didn't ret- retweet that. It just seemed like needlessly self-celebratory. <laughs> I wasn't going to be part of that game. <laughs> We're here to serve you, listeners. She just did it right then. Um, no, so, And then somebody replied and went, yeah, if you wouldn't mind just not binning that, we'd all be appreciative in the chatter universe. <laughs> it was just like, oh, okay, even complete strangers now taking the piss out of me. Um, anyway, the dog show, they have picked a few people to profile, clearly who probably were the previous shows right, winners yeah. so that you you know you're going to be with people who are yep. going to make it through various rounds. And, um, yeah, it's of course it sort of completely hooks you in. Um, the countdown towards an event happening like a dog show yeah. or a fashion show does remind me of uh, something that I watched recently, which also is a countdown of sorts. Uh, it's a documentary called Fire. Oh, God, I just actually weed my pants a bit when you said that. It just brought back all my panic reactions from watching it. So, so how did you find out about FIRE, spelled F-Y-R-E? So uh, just to give people a bit of background, FIRE is a documentary about a festival called the FIRE Festival. Oh, it was ding. Clang. That was me, so. The FIRE Festival, which was um, the brainchild of these sort of rich New Yorker you know, millennials. Scammers. Scammers. Um, it was going to be held on an island in the Bahamas and you paid some exorbitant amount of money to go and all these social media influencers are involved in pitching it yeah. and then it became a gigantic disaster because they didn't deliver on what was promised. Right, basically. and the first thing was like – and they – and the, the island that they claimed that they were holding on was like it used to belong to Carlos the Jackal or somebody, didn't it? Yeah, somebody like that. I think gangster. it was someone like – no, yeah. it was um, the cocaine guy. Um, oh, Escobar. Pablo Escobar, yeah. yeah. Um, and they – and the scammer who was running it was in cahoots with – which rapper was it? Um, ja Rule. Ja Rule. <laughs> one, of the, one of the lesser jars. <laughs> Uh, and um, and the first thing they did was that they built up all this FOMO for the festival by getting all of these Instagram influencers and flying them into this island and just making them cavort about with, you know, inflatable bikinis balls and, and, and bikinis and stuff. And they cut this into this incredibly slick clip that made it look like this is the most exclusive music dance party uh, in the world, limited tickets, you'll be hanging out with, you know, Giselle Bündchen and so on. <laughs> So, like, sign up here. And it just sold out 
really quickly and people would pay, you know, thousands and thousands for, you know, a, a villa or a sort of um, luxury tent and all this sort of stuff. And nothing, I think, more typified what the actual reality of it was than, you know, they were told like, you know, the meals, it's going to be, you know, chefs doing sushi and amazing food, little salad boxes and stuff. They were given on the first day just a white bread cheese, soggy cheese sandwich. It was just, Perfect. yeah. Be like coming to your house for a music festival. <laughs> be margarine. <laughs> So they oh, it's not argarine, it's olive oil spread. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> just stop it. Just I'm not gonna take your food criticism. You can't even make carrot cake with carrot. Oh wow. <laughs> Survey says delicious. Like everybody who's eating this cake has really liked it. <clears throat> no one's they're all got better manners than me, so they haven't wanted to tell you that it's black and carrot. Um now, Fire Festival. So I I only heard about it just because I logged onto Netflix and it was their banner right. you know, sort of thing, right? And so I think I saw Ben Law tweeting about it just saying, Oh my god, oh my god, I can't, you know, I can't even cope. So it basically what they've done is they've because there was so much social media footage, they've got tons of that. But the people so the guy running it who was just a complete charlatan, um, has hired actually, you know, very competent people to work on it. And they, if you've ever had a boss where you've been saying to them, listen, this is actually not possible to do, yeah. and your boss is somebody who says things to you like... Never happened to me in journalism once. <laughs> <laughs> your boss is somebody who says, listen, we're not about problems here, we're about solutions. Yeah. This is the whole vibe. And so these competent people would just be reduced to tears because they'd be like... There's not even, you know, we've sold 3,000 tickets and the available space on the island for tents would be for 300 people. Like you can't actually make it work. Also, there, there's no electricity. There was no there sanitation. There's no the plumbing. <laughs> there was no plumbing. There wasn't even an island. Because oh. once they started, the people who owned the island said, yeah, you can hire our island to have your stupid festival on, but you cannot advertise it as Pablo Escobar's old island. And so that was, of course, the front, like that was the headline of their promo. So the people who own the island just went, uh, no, we can't have it here anymore. <laughs> and so they had to move it to some sort of weird oil refinery disused atoll <laughs> that had absolutely nothing on it except sump oil spillage. It's just like <laughs> the footage of the island, you're just like, ooh. Oh, oh, that, oh, that it doesn't was look nice. Horrendous. But the. So um, eventually they borrowed all of these kind of um, Red Cross army tents, you know. And saved from a hurricane that had yeah. hit. Oh, God. Mm. So, it, look, it gave me the feeling of watching it. I, I honestly, it gave me the same feeling as when I watch a horror film. Yeah. I, it was hard to watch. It was just this creeping feeling of dread as the deadline's coming and these people are saying it cannot be delivered. Why don't we just call a halt to it now because we're going to have thousands of people arrive and they literally – and one guy actually sends an email where he spells out what will happen and it's pretty much exactly what does happen. But there's a moment in this. <laughs> Anyone who's watched this document documentary, you know the moment that I'm talking yep. about. Anyone who hasn't watched it, if you watch it, as soon as you see it, you will know the moment that I'm talking about. There is a man who is working, um, trying to make this thing happen, and he's quite competent and seems like a pretty good guy, and he's just absolutely killing himself to try to do what he can. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what he says in this grab, but I was watching it on a plane, <laughs> and when I landed, I texted you, and I was still – the person next to me must have just thought, what is going on with her, because I was just <laughs> – like you know, cry laughing yeah. and just like with my hand clapped over my mouth because I was just out of control hysterics laughing. I wished that somebody had been I, – I think I texted you and said, I wish you hadn't seen it so I could play it to you and then record your face because <laughs> I'm sure the emotions that crossed my face in about 45 seconds were initially – 
like shock and disbelief <laughs> and then followed by horror, then followed by just glued to the unfolding of the rest of the anecdote, then I think relief <laughs> and then just complete hilarity. <laughs> All in about 45 seconds. It is worth the doco, I reckon, for that one grab. Yeah. Also, I think, though, in fairness, you as a hyper-organised person – would have just got more hives than me because I mean oh, my life's God. shambles, so I'd be like, oh yeah, that checks out, you know. That reminds it, it me was, of something. Oh. Whereas you'd be just like, it would be like watching, I don't know. Oh, it, uh, it was like I say, it was like it felt like a horror film to me. It, it was just, it'd be like you going to a series of lunches where the person is fifteen minutes late. Oh, just, just like on steroids. Like it was just upsetting. like so, so much worse than that. It was just absolutely um, horrendous. But anyway, it was sort of enjoyable. There's another doco about it as well. Apparently, that the dude who's the central character has participated in. It's on oh, Hulu. really? It's on Hulu. Oh. I sort of feel like I've had my fill of fire. Yeah. And, um, oh no, I'm I'm finished with it. I'm um, but I loved it. it yeah, really, I enjoyed it yeah. too. It, it was just um, scarifying. Yeah, I completely mm. agree. Also, I just loved seeing all those insta idiots kind of really just. <laughs> There's a lot of sharp really and involved in the watching yeah, of that. There was. Uh, <laughs> it was that was that was one of the nicest parts. Of it. I mean, my God, who's got like I don't know what they paid like ten thousand dollars a Yeah, and they kept paying it because they needed more money, and they actually had none of the services that people had already paid for. So it was like a really terrible situation. So then they kept sending the, all these subscribers emails saying things like, oh, yeah, so we forgot to mention, if you want food, like if you yeah. want to eat at this thing, send us another five grand. Yeah, or you and can upgrade like, for a blah, blah, well, blah, blah package. I'm going to be in a luxury seaside villa, I guess I may as well spend another five grand oh. on having hand-hacked sushi developed, just, delivered to my door. Anyway, just horrendous. Absolutely superb. Just horrendous. Um. Can I, I know we're out of um, sequence here, but I wanted to just quickly tell you about um, just while we're talking about things that are kind of absolutely traumatizing and funny. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book that I just finished finished reading called "This Is Going to Hurt" by um, a guy called Adam Kay. Now I know in, on seven thirty this week you had that amazing woman who wrote the blog post about yes. being significantly overworked as a junior doctor. Yes. Well, um, I totally coincidentally, and this is just like a. I picked up this book when I was walking through the airport and I was on my way home from some job that had been quite um, exhausting and I thought, I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to pick up something that is just completely random. And so this is a book written by a guy who used to be a, um, uh, a junior doctor and this is essentially his diary oh. from um, before he quit. Oh, God. Uh, and it is like... There is so much kind of unbelievable, I can't believe this happened. Australian book is this? No, UK. So he works in the um, uh, NHS. Right. And, I mean, obviously there are like a few um, kind of, oh, you won't believe what was stuck up this person's bum kind of moments and all that kind of thing. But it is is a combination of – personally scarifying um, personal memoir. I mean, you can see the damage that is being done to his relationships and uh, these kind of bizarre things where he's working two shifts and he'll have like three hours sleep in between and then just have to go back. But then these unbelievable kind of laugh out loud moments where something just so dreadful happens and you can't possibly um, fathom it. And, of course, now I'm just trying to find one of them. And I, a, a really sensible person would have actually 
bookmarked this. You say something in general about healthcare and I'll um, find it. <laughs> um, I just... I just wonder how long that current practice of the way they deal with beginning doctors or probably not even beginning doctors can be sustained. I mean, just the horror of, not that you would ever know, but the horror of if you discovered that the person who was making decisions about your health care was on their 24th, 16-hour day straight. Um, Atul Gawande, who's one of my favourite writers who writes for The New Yorker, wrote a fantastic book a few years back called Complications. And it was about all these sort of things. Like he said, for example – you know, when, when a new medical procedure comes along, um, invariably when it's first introduced, deaths from that procedure or deaths from that condition will be higher because the procedure's new, people don't know how to do it, um, and you sort of have to start somewhere. So over time you'll see deaths go down, but in the initial period when it's used, deaths go up. But nobody necessarily will sit you down and explain that to you if you happen to be in the first tranche of people that are going through. Um, and that's like all of those other books like – that one called Do No Harm by Henry Marsh, the brain yeah. surgeon. Oh, my God, frightening. There, It's also that thing of, you know, every doctor, like say if you're doing a lung transplant or brain surgery, there's there's a point at which you have to do that for the first time. Um, but, again, unless you ask, no one's going to volunteer to you that you realise this is actually Dr Crabbe's first brain surgery. <laughs> you know, that's not going to be run past you because who would who would agree to that? Yeah. So it, it it's a really, really interesting book about just, you know, the way medicine works and the sort of things we all have to go along with. I, f- I feel like I filled that time admirably and yet I you've know. not been able oh to God, find. This is so stupid. I brought the book specifically because there's this really funny bit I was going to read to you and I've completely failed. Damn. It is. Look, I retweeted a very funny passage from it the other day. Um, so I'll maybe put up a link to that. Oh, my God. I oh feel really. God. It's just like it's blackly shockingly funny like it actually made me laugh out loud a bunch of times oh okay yeah it's really 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 funny um can we talk podcasts yeah we can i I feel a bit stupid sorry about that last five minutes (laughs) i am listening to uh one at the moment which is probably the podcast i've most enjoyed in memory and i'm like constantly clicking on it to see if there's a new episode Uh, david tennant does a podcast with it's called it's David Tennant, the uh, British actor. Yeah. He plays Doctor Who and the dude in Broadchurch, among many other roles. Yeah. And he basically, there's four episodes so far, he basically is just chatting to friends. So the first one's with Olivia Coleman. Then it's Whoopi Goldberg. Then it's Jodie Whittaker, who was the Doctor Who, first female Doctor Who. And the latest episode is Ian McKellen. David Tennant is the most delightful conversationalist and he's been very clever in picking people that he has lovely chemistry with and that they just get into a rollicking, hilarious conversation. The one with Olivia Coleman, somebody tweeted me about it and said, they're like a pair of warm Anzac cookies straight out of the oven and they are. It's just, oh, she is just hilarious and he's just really sweet and funny too. You just, you walk away from it and just think, oh, they should be my friends. They're just so great. And the Jodie Whittaker one as well, she was, I mean, they're all absolutely fantastic, but the Jodie Whittaker one too, she was very endearing as well. Um, And it's just interesting. Like she's talking about, they get into a good conversation about the pressure of playing the doctor. Um, and that it's a different it's different to any other role because people have a lot of investment in Doctor Who, um, and there's a lot of history that you're bringing to it, and it's gen it's you know genuinely a sort of life changing thing to take on, and so they talk quite a bit about that. And they and that's their kind of I mean that ends up being a part of their life forever, right? Yeah, exactly. You can never get away from it. 
So when I, yeah. when I was in um, the UK um, working for um, the Fairfax Sunday Papers, I once had to do a um, I had to do uh, an interview with two former doctors. Now, who were they? I think it was Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy. No, it's Tom Baker. Oh, Colin Baker. Colin yeah, Baker. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I. Because it was some anniversary and I, I had to go and interview a couple of former doctors. Right. Um, so they were the sixth and seventh doctors. Anyway, I went and met up with them and did interviews over cups of tea. Are you a Doctor Who fan? Um, look, I found it really scary. Like I I didn't watch it when I was a kid because um, I found I, – who finds Doctor Who scary? I found it scary, um, those things that – Go around saying exterminate, exterminate. Daleks, Daleks yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't that put really me off. I, uh, I was it. little in my defence. When you um, think of Doctor Who, who do you visualise? Oh, Tom Baker. Same. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, but it was so interesting. I mean, no, no offence, chaps, but I was interviewing some of the lesser doctors, <laughs> like some of the kind of second string doctors. doctors. <laughs> well, they were available <laughs> that way. <laughs> some of the B grade. But Tom doctors. Baker was busy. Yeah. Um anyway, I what I would just blew my mind about these guys was that they are they are still just constantly invited to Doctor Who conventions. Oh yeah. And so it's like a continuing way yep. of life. Yeah. And the Doctor Who nutters around the world have just an a, an endless appetite for consuming all things Whovian. And then like so they've totally. got like the set for life. Totally. Mostly. But, but well, you, you say set, but in this podcast they talk a little bit about, you know, the costs of that as well, which is really interesting. It made me think about when it was over – Harry Potter, because oh, Jodie yeah. Whittaker talks a lot about how much thought mm. she gave to being Doctor Who, particularly being the first female Doctor, um, and she she sort of dissects that. And I was thinking, you know, that's interesting because you make that call as an adult. You look at all those kids that were in Harry Potter. Yeah. Daniel Radcliffe is going to be Harry Potter till the day that he dies. And you think, man, you didn't even – your parents made that decision really. Yeah. Or if you sure. were involved, you're a child. You don't really have – Look, it worked out well for a bunch of child stars, so I'm sure it'll be <laughs> fine. Um, but also even just – I actually feel sorrier for – where was it – did I see a story the other day or were we just talking about um, that guy in Ferris Bueller – who says Ben Stein? Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Yeah. Now, um, someone was relaying to me that they'd read that he just has five people a day coming up to him. That was me, I think. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. Right. I, watched I love it, it when I'm tracking down. <laughs> what I like better is when I recommend to you something that you've already recommended to me, which has already happened. In the DVD extras to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, he Ben Stein, his name is, says you know per day five people would come up to him and say. Bueller, so you got Bueller. the number right. Five um, and he has come to terms with that by saying it's what a privilege that like I've uttered one of the most, you know, well-known film lines ever and that was a great experience in my life and so how wonderful that I have that. So he's been able to sort of turn that around to view it as a positive thing. I think also, the context you know, was. His, it's his delivery of that line. Yeah, that flat. That line, yeah, exactly. But it's just so yeah. brilliantly catchy. Yep, totally. Um, I think we actually might have even had this conversation on the podcast because weren't we doing oh, it in the context of John McEnroe with 11 people? Oh, we were. So, yeah. <laughs> this is just so embarrassing. Well, but you I really actually... brought your A game today. I don't know, God. It's just this delicious carrot cake that's clouding my judgment. Um, I also, I reckon I use quotes from Ferris Bueller all the time. I like think, even yeah. The, yesterday when my nine-year-old son, who's just got a trumpet, was just like... 
giving it a bash about uh, to the detriment of all of our ears. Um, I said, when he finished up, I said, never had one lesson, <laughs> which is a Ferris Bueller line, right? I often say when somebody says something like, you know, oh, she's great, everybody loves her, I'll say something like, everybody loves her, the dweebs, the sportos, the jocks. <laughs> He's a righteous dude. <laughs> yeah, it's funny with films like that. The other film that I reckon I quote a lot is Zoolander. Yeah, right. You know, really, really ridiculously good looking yeah. and all of those. Orange Marker Frappuccino, all of those sort of ridiculous lines. Yeah. Um, what makes you such funny company. I know. Another podcast, yep. just quickly, uh, called someone recommended it to me called Song Exploder. It talks to oh, famous like musicians. <laughs> they talk to famous musos about famous songs and get them to break down how they were made. Oh, yeah. And they actually oh, split it. Oh, that's quite cool. Oh, it's fantastic. No, they, I'm interested. They split it into. What's the best one? They'll play. I'll just, keep interrupting you for a while if you like. I've only listened to two. They they break them down so you can hear the individual tracks. So when they talk about the drumming, they'll just isolate the drumming or oh, the wow. bass part or whatever. So the first one I listened to was Lindsay Buckingham, like Lindsay Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac talking about you can go your own way. Oh, okay. All written all about Stevie Nicks when they realised they couldn't have a relationship. And then he talks about how he wanted a certain drum sound and the drummer didn't want to do it. And then Lindsay's like, would you please just do it? And then they come up with this thing. And so it's really fantastic. And then at the end they play the whole thing together. How terrible There's, if you write a song that's about something quite – emotionally difficult and then it becomes this massive hit and you've got to sing it every day for the rest of your life. Well, he, Lindsay Buckingham said it was actually quite cathartic and he found it really sort of a useful yeah, thing right. to be able to perform it and do it. There was another good one. I listened to three actually. Um, Yo-Yo Ma talking about the Bach um, cello, you know, you know that one? Yep. Um, yes, I still recognise that. <laughs> <laughs> Do that again with carrot cake. <laughs> they had, um, bloody good cake. They had a version of him playing it in his 20s mm-hmm. and then they had a version of him playing it that's just been recorded in his 60s and they oh, asked wow. him to commentate on the 20s when he was young. Oh, that's nice. You know what, you could – and it was amazing because you could really, really hear the difference because they were talking about that piece of music that – the the music sheet music was sort of lost in Bach's lifetime, and then some Spanish cellist found it sort of a hundred years, if not more, later. Um, and then he recorded a version, and that was the sort of version everyone goes from. But because the original sheet music was lost, nobody really knows what Bach's dynamics or intentions wow. were about it. So um, it's a bit awkward for Bach. So they play the the. Um, the young Yo-Yo Ma version and, and Yo-Yo Ma says, look, you know, that's that's good cello playing. And that he said, that sounds like somebody that wants you to know that they are a good cellist. <laughs> and then they play the version and, and he plays it sort of, I guess, in what I would con- – that young version is what I sort of consider to be the version of that that I'm most familiar mm. with. There's a pause in the middle of it, um, which I won't attempt to sing. But Thanks. He sort of it, – it, most people usually play it heading to a crescendo and then pause sort of fairly significantly right. and then move on. In the new Yo-Yo-Mar version, it, the whole thing is played with so much more feeling than the younger version. And when he gets to that pause, instead of a crescendo, it's quite soft and then the pause is a little bit um, quicker. Mm. And it really works. You can you can tell that it's played by somebody with much more experience of oh, life. Wow. It's great. How amazing. I know. And then the other one I listened to, which really did actually help me understand this song, the song is Suddenly I See by KT Tunstall. Oh, yeah, yeah. Suddenly I see. Thank this you. is what I want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we got it. Uh, it's about Patty Smith on the cover of Horses. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so she says, you know, I love Patty Smith. I used to always listen to the album Horses, which is a very seminal album. Um, I used to look at Patty Smith and one day I was listening to it and I just thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. And then so that's what the song's about. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so once you hear the song and they explain that. It sounds that, like an awesome podcast. Stand by yeah. for me to listen to it and then recommend it to you this time <laughs> next week. Um, have you been listening to anything? Yeah, I'm uh, stuck right into who the hell is. I know, we've run over, haven't we? Oh, You're getting God. all itchy. It's like fire all over again. <laughs> now I'm just going to talk at length about a series of podcasts. Um, I uh, have been listening to Who the Hell is Hamish? I'm unscratchably obsessed with it already. It is about a con man. You know, the con man who famously um, took Lisa Ho to the cleaners? No. Okay, so Lisa Ho, the famous fashion designer, Mm -hmm. um, business got into trouble and it turned out that she'd been um, completely um, uh, hoodwinked by this guy uh, who – got personally very close to her and then um, said that he'd make investments. She lost all her super and like a whole chunk of business too. And it turns out that he's been doing this to all these women um, and a couple of men as well. Um, Just an absolute uh, calculated con artist who um, makes – people emotionally dependent on him and then says, oh, look, you know, it's no biggie, but I'm, you know, an expert in investment. I could, you know, make you a lot of money. And so they trust him and he goes off and um, uh, scams it off and then uses the proceeds from the next person he scams to sort of like pay a little bit of money back to the earlier people. So they think, oh, yeah, I think it's going all right. And then it just really isn't. And he's got a bunch of different identities. So you you hear on the podcast all of these people talking about the moment where – this charming, sociable um, guy that they really, really liked and trusted, they start to realise that he actually is just not who he says he is at all. I mean, you can imagine that kind of – he sounded like he was incredible at building this sense of intimacy and trust. Wow. Which just led people – Perfectly intelligent, sensible people to um, trust him to their. Have you ever had that experience where someone you've one hundred percent loved and trusted and liked has turned out to just be absolutely not what you thought they were? I have never. Well, this is an awkward uh, conversation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't think of a, an instance. I, it's in which... only for me. It's only ever been people that I've had my doubts about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I don't think I ever have. I mean. Um, I kind of keep to a reasonably narrow – like I don't like make hundreds of new friends all the time. I'm not a massive socialite or anything like that. So I don't. I think I would be hard to entrap. I don't really get out much, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean like I'm never going in. to sort of like, you know – Also, we don't really have any money to invest. So you, you know go. what I mean? No. It's very disappointing. No, no investors are going to come and target us. Get scammed out of our carrot cake. <laughs> But like it just like this whole podcast and it's like it's um it's really uh nicely done. Um it's okay. published by the Australian and it's um researched and narrated by Greg Bearup. Um it's really kicks along, but it makes you think about um you know, just this idea of personal trust and like mm. and judgment. Because a lot of the people he talks to are thinking are, are like, Wow, I feel really stupid because I'm not a stupid person and yet here I am mm. being fleeced by this guy. So I it's think great. actually toxic people would be a good idea for a book, except I can't be bothered to immerse with and think about oh, toxic it's all right. people. John Ronson will do it and then you'll just read Okay, why did you yeah, do why? it? Um, looking for Drago is another one I've just started um, listening to, Pair of Comedians. It's an ABC podcast. They, it's just I started listening to it, A, because Jeremy has been really loving it and he's like a bunch of episodes in. I'm half an episode in and it is already quite funny. Um, it's, it's this pair of comedy comedians who have gone on the hunt for the author of uh, this book that was written about 
Drago, the um, the Russian villain um, played oh, by Rocky. Dolph Rund- yeah. Lundgren in the fourth episode of Rocky. Like, so it's the most tenuous idea for a podcast and it's sort of like adorable because you just think how flimsy can the uh, – the, the premise for a podcast be this flimsy. Uh, it's an <laughs> oh, investigation. Yeah, hang, on, hang on. You are 50% I mean, of a podcast yeah, that is, pretty that is two people yeah. speaking shit with no script that used yeah. to be recorded on an iPhone yeah. and you dare poke fun at some yeah, guys? at least they've got an idea. <laughs> yeah, at least they've um, got a premise. Anyway, it's very funny. They've gone and um, interviewed this Russian guy just about what um, Rocky Four was like for people in Russia when they first saw it because obviously, you know, it, it was already 10 years old really by the time um, uh, people they in Russia it. really got uh. to see it. And oh, this guy's hilarious. He's saying that, um, uh, you know, first of all, the bits where Dolph Lundgren or um, Drago is talking to his manager, it's supposed to be in Russian, but actually it's total gobbledygook. Like oh, nobody classic. even actually got Russian involved. So <laughs> basically if you're watching it as a Russian person, you're watching the, the subtitles and then the bits it's where like- Lundgren is purportedly speaking in Russian to his manager, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, like really. That's hilarious. To attempt so little. And he also said um, – it is a bit, you know, you look at it and you think, wow, that's a really stupid portrayal of what Russia is like. But he said, like, if, you, if you've ever thought of the, uh, Russia as the dark empire because of Rocky IV, hate Sweden instead because <laughs> Dolph Lundgren isn't even Russian, he's Swedish. It's very funny. Um, right, we're going to leave it there. Oh, you can't, I can't no. even talk about my oh. No, you can't. Okay. For more, you can head to chat10looks3.com where you'll find information about everything we've discussed in this episode. Click on the link bedside table to purchase books we've discussed. If you scroll down the homepage, you can also sign up for our newsletter which has heaps of interesting extra things to read, watch and listen to. And sometimes the website even has merchandise to buy and info about live shows around Australia. You can follow Chat10Looks3 on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening.